Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. <laughs> I'm William Ben's love slave Johnson. Oh, see, look at you tip the hat to the guest already. We're damn glad to have you. Folks, this is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate in the end. We encourage you all to love what you love, but for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. Folks, I'm sitting this one out. We're reviewing a movie that I haven't seen yet. So this week, we have called to the bullpen for a guest to return to this show. Welcome back, Ben Calamer. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, Ben is here to talk some Paul Schrader. Folks, we're going to do about two episodes here in two different recordings. This first one is on his new film, The Card Counter, where Ben Ben and Will will debate this while I kind of play referee with the bell and the timer in between. Our format is this. The recommending lover goes first. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellect intellectual scorched earth after that we open it up for 15 minutes of shared discussion where the hissy fit really gets chippy we hope you've got your judge's scorecard you got ben versus will on paul schrader (laughs) gentlemen i'm gonna deal the cards and let's see what we got i'm just playing referee folks let's go so i need to know this here first first things first ben how are you it's been a minute since we've had it last time since our double blade runner stuff tell us how the world has been since then I am doing awesome. Um, the world is revolving. Uh, apparently, uh, other people are, are going to be a lot happier than I am uh, in the coming days. But for now, uh, I'm just chilling. Uh, actually, uh, I launched a, a new podcast myself called Essentially Cinema. Uh, we Ooh. went live uh, last Sunday. Uh, we've got a bunch of episodes in the hopper, and uh, we're, mm. we're going to come out swinging. So what's the crux format or kind of angle of the show? Tell us all about it. Uh, general conversation. Um, we are picking films that uh, I haven't seen where Ooh. my podcasting partner, uh, Anthony Francis, has uh, seen so that we can give you a dual perspective discussion from uh, a fresh perspective and from a uh, experience perspective uh, and something that uh, I hope people can latch on to the concept and uh, in, enjoy a, a different vantage point on classic films. Ooh, all right. What was the first episode that's out now? Like, what, what film do you cover? So uh, there was a, a documentary that played at Dances with Films called Dear Ike, uh, Lost Letters from, to a Teenage Idol. Uh, it's a story of a aspiring film director in the early 80s as a teenager who very badly wanted to work with uh, actor-writer Ike Eisenman of Little House on the Prairie fame and uh, Witch Mountain fame. And okay. uh, so uh, 40 years uh, hence, they finally meet uh, through a mutual friend Um and it's the story of how Ike got to read the letters, including one from his uh, uh, recently deceased dad that was sent to uh, the film's director, Dion. Uh, it's just a beautiful story. Um, and uh, we actually had the chance to interview Mr. Eisenman and the film's director, uh, Dion Labriola. Uh, and uh, we put an episode together uh, as a retrospective of Ike's career. 
and the uh, we discussed the Witch Mountain movies, and you know it's it's just a blast. It runs two hours and seventeen minutes long when everything's edited together, but mm-hmm. uh, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. Nice, nice. I like these angles you're going with. This is this is good, interesting stuff. I look forward to hearing this one and also what's in the hopper. All right, thank you. Yeah. So what's your experience with Paul Schrader? Since we're going here for two episodes, you might as well kind of tell us where you're at with that. My experience with Paul Schrader is, I admit, limited. Um, He's probably written a lot more than he has directed of what I've seen over the years. You are correct. Uh, I I was remarking to a friend that I probably saw a taxi driver for the first time 18 years ago uh, when I randomly ran across it on Criterion Laserdisc. And I absolutely fell in love with the movie. Um, Within the last year, I've seen the first screenplay that he wrote, um, uh, The Yakuza, uh, directed by his brother Mm -hmm. in the late 70s. Another terrific film. That is a good Um, little film. Yeah. And uh, more recently, uh, First Reformed and The Card Counter, um, you know, two films that I hold in very high regard. All right. All right. So I'm going to take a stab here, you know, knowing Will and his, you know, surly nature and Marvel shillness, because uh, we have to work that into every show. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Did you say something? I was jerking off Joe Russo with one hand and oh. blowing uh, Anthony Russo with my mouth. I'm sorry. Hey, I hey, was too hey. busy to understand anything you guys said because I'm such a shill. You know, watch well, your hey, hands what? and I'm going to get a bar of soap, mister. Right. Yeah. You know what? Hey, whatever fills your mouth other than the words you put out of them, that sounds good. <laughs> so I'm going to take it, Ben, that you are the lover in this case for the card counter released this past week here with starring Oscar Isaac. So you're going to go first with five interrupted minutes and then Will's going to get five from there. So timer is coming up here for a second. Let me get that right there. Timer is on and you are a go. Ben, tell us why we should love the card counter. Uh, it's one of those films that I think explores uh, a multitude of themes. And if that's not general, uh, a general description about the film, I don't know what is. But uh, the, the characters that inhabit the film are uh, fluid. In other words, uh, it's not, uh, they don't have static lives, even though the visual imagery uh, is is static and copacetic, and uh, Paul Schrader uh, imbues in the film a sense of iron, visual irony, um, but he's also telling a story of a man who has suffered deeply, um, and he very much needs a shot at redemption, but doesn't realize that he needs it until he comes across uh, Kirk. Um, every time he comes across Kirk, played by Ty Sheridan, uh, who with a C. Kirk with a C, yes, Kirk with a C, and uh, and then Lalinda, played by um, Tiffany Haddish, and so uh, the film has an interesting visual quality. Uh, it has deep layers within its story that uh, um, really. Mm-hmm carry the film uh and uh i i just thought that it was such a deeply affecting movie for me uh specifically because it's it's set against the backdrop of a gambler 
but the movie really isn't about the fact that he's a gambler. It's about the fact that he is seeking a religious repentance of sorts and doesn't quite know how to find himself uh, because he's lost in the world. Uh, so uh, um, the... I'm, give me a minute. Um, you're good. You're good. Thank you. Uh, the his world keeps moving forward, even though he's standing still. And when he finds love, when he finds someone to actually protect or a reason to protect somebody, all those years after being subjected to the bullshit in Abu Ghraib. Uh, that he finally has a chance at inner peace. And the man spent time in jail because his betters were contractors for uh, the uh, federal government and thus weren't subject to any harsh penalties for the actions that they took uh, to illegally torture individuals. Um, the... Uh, you know, the, I, when I thought about the movie, I was thinking about Rounders and how very much uh, 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 the character of William Tell was a take on, um, oh, who did Edward Norton play in Rounders? He played um, like the mechanic and the, like the, yeah. the cheater of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Ra- a rat. Um, right. That's the one. Um, he's, he's the antithesis of rat who's trying to game the system here. William Tell is trying to be as unobtrusive into the gambling system because when he was in prison, he learned how to count cards and Mm -hmm. the casino apparently doesn't mind it. When you count cards, you just can't win big. And so he lives his life by that code, not betting too deep into a pot in order to try and win big. And uh, it's it's just it's an amazing story of um, of love ultimately and redemption. Uh, I thought that uh, Schrader's canvas was much wider and much deeper than First Reformed, which we're going to talk about here a little later. Mm-hmm. And it it's just one of those things that. Uh, uh, that I know Will is going to rake me over the coals here in in a minute or two, but I don't mind it. No, it's 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 all good. Uh, and and on that note, uh, I I I believe my ding is coming up here. Twenty five seconds, if you need to squeeze one more, you know, turd out of this one, Ben. I I think I'm good. Jesus. All right. <laughs> the bell comes early. I'm fine with that. Good call. Good call. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clear your throat like you can't, you know, get the Russo penis out of your mouth. Go for it. There you go. What? Should I get some Listerine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, Full gargle. Go for it. <laughs> Why, when I say it, it's pretty funny, but when you say it, it's just gross. Because you, because you obviously are taking pleasure in it. The rest of us have to picture and go, oh, what the fuck? Well. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, okay. So. Um, yeah, the card counter. Let's talk about the card counter, shall we? Uh, this one is a tough one. Me and Don have discussed this effect before, where okay. it's you can't really... It feels like in this day and age, especially if you've got something plastered on it, like produced by Martin Scorsese, who gets a bigger credit on the poster than director-writer Paul Schrader, mm-hmm. um, 
that you can't criticize these films anymore because we live in this age now where everything is divided. Art versus non-art. Untouchable talent with perfect resumes versus complete bums, idiots, and losers. It's a tough tough proposition to review a film anymore and be honest about it because you're going to be raked over the coals. And especially me... If I get if I if anything with Scorsese's name on it is mentioned, and I don't say that uh, you know it's the greatest thing that's touched the finger of God, you know I will be raked over the coals. Now that, and I'm saying this because the Card Counter is a good movie. It's a very good movie. Um, it's a to me it's a three and a half out of five on Letterbox. But you know for some people, and Ben is not one of these, so I'm not blaming Ben for this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know, people will look at you and be like, well, of course you'll give the Scorsese Schrader a three and a half, but, you know, you'll jerk off to Infinity War. It's like, yeah, I, I understand. That's fine. I have maybe a preference for, like, you know, a superhero film here and there. But, you know, as I'm going to discuss later in our episode on First Reform, like, you know, you can go through my list of best films of the decade and you might find a couple superhero films on there. But... A lot of us fans out there that might be shills of the Marvel Universe or superhero films, we also watch other films, too. And it's okay if we don't like it or we do like it. So the card counter is tough for me because there are definitely some nice directorial flourishes. It's a good script. Um, the, the problem I have with it is the same problem I had with uh, Ridley Scott's The Counselor. Um I know there's a lot of people who love that film. Um, I'm not a big fan. I think The Card Counter is better than The Counselor. Um, But the thing about The Counselor was it was so aware of itself. It was so aware of the script that it was. It was so so much a part of the author of the Cormac McCarthy that it, it, it couldn't get past the fact that it was patting itself on the back for being so witty and so wonderful in terms of the script. This works kind of the same way with Card Counter. I think that Paul Schrader is a good director. He's directed a lot of great films, sometimes masterpieces in my opinion, Um, and he's written some amazing films, including Taxi Driver, my favorite Scorsese film. Yes, I like a Scorsese film, people. I think it's a five-star film. Um, I think that, unfortunately... He's he focused a little too much on the writing and maybe not enough on the direction because there are many scenes in this film. There is one early scene with Kirk with a C and Oscar Isaac where they have this discussion in a uh, in a uh, casino bar and it's very flat. It's very muddy. It doesn't have a lot. Of, there's not a lot of dynam- dynamism. Is that a word? It's not dynamic. It, it just feels a little stale. And I think you know he's done better in other films and that's okay. Because he does make up for it with good performances. There's plenty of uh, Paul Schrader, you know, what I call fucked up things. You know, like there's a scene where Oscar Isaac gets punched a hundred times by this guy in prison and just smiles with all this blood coming out of his face. And, uh, you know, there's uh, this moment where you think that this this other character is going to be tortured. And you're like, holy shit, like this is some fucked up shit. Um, On par with, you know... Martin Scorsese saying he's going to shoot his girlfriend uh, in the vagina in Taxi Driver. You know, there's some messed up stuff in this, especially the Abu Mm -hmm. Ghraib flashbacks. Um, I would say the other problem I have with this film mainly is that I think it's a very spiritual sequel to First Reform, personally. They almost have shot-for-shot remakes here of First Reform. Mm. There's, There's scenes of Oscar Isaac 
literally writing in a journal talking about his faith in humanity while drinking whiskey. Um, you know, there's a, a, a quote unquote levitation moment that's at the end of First Reform that I think is both in a scene involving a lot of lighted up trees uh, and as well as the very ending shot, which I'd like to get Ben's opinion on. Um, so I think there's a lot of similar themes and stories going on, but the card counter to me comes across a bit more muddled. I think while there are brilliant mo uh, moments, there is some razor sharp dialogue, there are some visual treats. I think that when compared to First Reformed, which is the, the film that came before this, um, I don't. I, I wouldn't say it would be fair to compare it. However, not only is it the same director writer, but it shares so many of the same themes: the deconstruction of the human spirit, taking blame for life's atrocities. There's so much in there that was also in First Reform that was clearer, more succinct in First Reform. And Oscar Isaac is a great actor, but I really think he pales in comparison to something like Ethan Ethan Hawke, who I think would have done this role just as well um on a positive note i don't know how much time i have left because i didn't monitor myself 30 um, seconds my friend okay uh there was one thing i had big doubts about when i saw the poster i never watched a trailer for this don would be proud of me i am um, very but, proud of you but when i saw that tiffany haddish who i like as a comedian was going to be the kind of femme fatale-ish sexy neo-noir babe in the movie i was very skeptical but she was a huge surprise to me and i actually think not only do i think she is incredibly sexy but she is really good in this movie uh because she's she's kind of doing the jack nicholson thing where she's not betraying her character like who she is um but doing what the role demands of her and uh, I'm good with that. So uh, good performances. Tiffany Hash, a nice surprise. And of course, you got Willem Dafoe in it. And that's great. All right. All right. I, you know what? In both of your five minutes, I don't hear a goddamn thing about cards. So I'm lost already. But anyway, folks, <laughs> please enjoy a short announcement from Ruminations Radio Network. The year is 2043. You're playing fantasy football. It is championship week. You're trying to set your lineup and you don't know what to do. Robert Griffin IV and his top target, Will Fuller VI, have carried you all season, but they're facing a London Jaguars team that has the top defense in the league. Your other quarterback is a 66-year-old Tom Brady who's playing against the much more manageable Toronto Bengals. So you turn to Nick and Elijah of the 25 Yards Later podcast, a production of Sports Obsessive and Ruminations Radio Network. Be, Be a, champion. a champion. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back, gentlemen. Two good five minutes there. Let's see where this goes with some open-ended 15 here. So timer is started for 15. I'll let you lose. So I, I got to have a question answered from both of you. I, I heard Ben talk a little bit about rounders and seeing some parallels there. I heard Will say nothing about cards. How much that good card playing is in this movie? Because I, I need something. Can't call a movie the card counter and not have a good poker scene or two. Quite a bit, actually. But okay. uh, I, I, I think... I get that it's all about something bigger than that. But I still got to have my, my beak wetted by a little bit here. <laughs> uh, Schrader, I think, intentionally wets it down because it's really the backdrop or serves as the backdrop, and it really defines who William Tell is as a character. Yeah, I, I would say that um, a lot of the poker and blackjack scenes 
Um, there is a couple of things uh, that they do, like um, when William Tell is describing like like how much chances the house has to win and how to card count and stuff. They do those things where like they'll show the table and then there'll be like little uh, you know pop up captions and text that will tell you like oh at this point you have two percent and this point you know it's a flop and blah 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 whatever the terms are so they do a little bit of that but it's more just to give you it's it's kind of like the strangest exposition dump or character characterization dump i should say because you kind of learn how this guy thinks and they kind of get that out of the way there are a number of like poker sequences because the main character does join the world series of poker um, which seems very against his character, but he does it anyway uh, it, it, for reasons. And um, there is some poker moments where there's a little bit of tension here and there, but nothing like Casino Royale where it's like the tension is to eleven, and okay. you know, you're waiting, you're waiting for the card to flip over and see what the see what the river is or whatever the fuck poker is about. I have no idea. I, I still was lost really? regardless, regardless of, regardless of how much Paul Schrader and Oscar oh, Isaac explained it to me. I don't know anything about it. Oh, so. whoa, 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 they, whoa, whoa. We got to turn cool. you into a real man. Cause real men play poker. Will. I mean, sure, come on. Sure. Okay. I play go fish. That's your <laughs> damn Oh my god. They gosh. actually did a really good job of explaining what poker is. Uh, I learned something about, um, uh, 21 or blackjack uh from the beginning of the movie but uh, you know that that's one of uh schrader's uh trademarks is he utilized that to be able to tell a visual story there's a scene early in the film where uh uh will uh tell has explained what blackjack is and you can see in the background the subtle shifts in names on familiar signs like super eight is super six and uh a a motel six sign is a motel eight and what i think he was trying to convey is that uh uh tell was in the the seven card in the middle and that helps to identify who his character is and the relation that he plays to the story no, I, I agree. I, I think that is why it makes it it makes him a little bit harder to relate to. I'm not saying that he should, should be like everyone's best friend. He is a dark yeah. character, but when you're kind of sharing the same themes as um, First Reformed and Ethan Hawke in that film, it, it's a little bit more like you can kind of bite in and chew a little bit more on Ethan Hawke's problems in that film because. You know, he's obviously got a crisis of faith. He, you know, right. kind of know what a priest's job is. Uh, you also know that he's kind of going against what he's supposed to do as a priest. This one is a little bit more tough to understand, and I, I, I because I think it's harder for me personally to identify with a former, you know, uh, what do they call it? Um, it's uh, like a, a prison, like, you yeah. know, overseas prison guy yeah. and also like this uh, obsessed gambler. You know, it, it's harder to connect with him on that one and right. to follow his journey, in my opinion. I was uh, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and uh, because I watched First Reformed, uh, uh, what, Wednesday night? Um, and I hadn't seen it since I saw it in the theater. It had stuck with me that long, but I knew we were doing this. And so I wanted to 
uh, refresh myself. And the interesting thing about the parallels between the card or the first reformed and the card counter is that uh, Toller um, had a crisis in his life that I think many people will find relatable. Um, mm. And here, uh, uh, Tell or uh, yeah, Tell has a similar crisis of faith in his experiences and how he chose to handle it. And so the the difference between the two is that the card counter uh, William Tell is his 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 instigating crisis of faith, if you will, is not as relatable to people. And if you're not at least familiar with uh, card games and um, how how operators work in them, I think it might be a bit more difficult to pick up where where he his uh, modus operandi comes mm-hmm. and what drives him currently. Yeah, and that's that's fine. But I, I think that that comes down to how the writer and in this case the director presents it because there's plenty of movies even about card people that are your poker players, whatever that I can relate to on an easier level because they find a way to tell that. I think right. it gets a little too much in the weeds of how specific this culture is. Um, yeah. that it, it, like, like you said, I think that's great. It's effective storytelling. Yeah. It's, it's dense. It's, it's unique, but it's not exactly inviting at least to, to me. It is. I, I get it. You know, I get it from other people. And right. Ben, you are, of course, you know, I mean, we're talking about like you're a galaxy brain. I'm just a big dummy head. So yeah. I, I, you understand these things a lot deeper than I do, because I've seen you pull out themes, you know, uh, you know, when we've gone to screenings and you're just like, well, actually, I think the film's about this. And I go, oh, my God, my life has changed because uh, I'm a complete idiot. I did not see that. So you <laughs> I definitely trust you when, um, you know, you. uh when you find these things that maybe I'm missing because you are a little bit sharper than the average Joe, you know? Thank you. Look no at problem. you two go. Are we, are we just going to, are we just going to hang on that? Or are we going to say something? This has been a great episode. Let me get the exit. No, I, you guys I, I, have I, technically like eight more minutes of our usual format. It's up to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you can I, spread I, some love my way. That's no big deal. Oh, we're going there. Huh? I, I, needed, I needed to let the air hang for just a minute, mm-hmm. but that's, in, that's part and parcel of both films. You, Schrader, whether we choose to invest in understanding what he's telling us or what the characters are telling us, we have to trust that the information that's shared is for intent and not for just cursory fluff, if you will. Schrader, sure. Schrader to me, is a an exceptionally gifted screenwriter. And oh, yeah. I, I, I think the biggest difference between the two films is that Toller's story is much more relatable to a much broader audience because people mm-hmm. have experienced what he experienced in his life. Um, it's, it's a very biblical story uh, in terms of, of uh, his, his journey, his dealing with Mike. Uh, and counseling him and then discovering his body in the park. 
and how that changes a man who had no purpose up until that point. He was literally a tour guide for a uh, gift shop in a 200-year-old church that was undergoing a restoration sponsored by the very people who are destroying this planet. And so therefore, it becomes an environmental cause. Here in uh, the card counter, uh, William Tell uh, had a crisis of faith in that he was witness to horrors that were beyond his control. And uh, he was so denigrated by uh, um, Willem Dafoe's character, who was shielded from any uh, retribution, uh, state-sanctioned or otherwise, and uh, he had a crisis of faith very similar to uh, uh, First Reformed in that he didn't know where to go. He was aimless. And so he did something that he could to get himself in prison where he, be, he began to form an orderly life. But in doing so, he isolated himself. You notice how uh, William Tell has... Um, four walls clearly built around him. He's not going to let anybody in. He's got his processes. He's got, it's just like playing poker. You don't play the other man in the room. You don't play your, uh, you, you, you play the other man in the room. Uh, you don't play the cards that are in front of you because if you play the cards in front of you, you are going to lose because you're so focused on what's going to flop. Uh, in, in the hopes of getting that, that grand royal flush, uh, that uh, you, you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. And so when Kirk with a C comes into his life, he again has purpose uh, because Kirk so very badly wants to ruin Willem Dafoe's character's life, the major. Uh, I still think it's funny that the major hasn't earned his title, but he trumpets around trumpets around like nobody's business. And then um, uh, uh, Tell is not out to exact revenge. And in fact, he does everything he can to stop Kirk, um, thus wanting to build a nest egg to be able to invest uh, in Kirk's future, to be able to give him some sort of redemption. And when the big event happens in uh, towards the middle of the movie that uh, begets the third act, uh, uh, William Tell begins to finally find a sense of purpose. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's also with Tiffany Haddish's Lolinda, right? Uh, if, if Tell had continued his monotonous betting of small pools of money, he would never have gotten to where he needed to be. He needed somebody to front him. And he was totally against it, which I think is, is uh, you know, that's in line with what his character would have done. But both of these characters opened things up or and he, he trusted them both enough for them to be a part of his life. Um, and so uh, we were going to talk about the ending, but I, I, I want to say. Me, yeah, let me let me talk about what you're talking about because that to me is where the direction comes in and the script comes in because when you explain it like that and when i see it written down on paper like that that sounds like a brilliant idea you know it's 
um, you know, it goes back to the classic, you know, can't miss concepts, you know, like, oh, you know, Freddy versus Jason. That sounds like a great idea. How can you fuck that up? You know, like, I think that with this, it's the same thing. It's that's a great idea. A guy looking for redemption, you know, uh, finds this opportunity. He sees somebody going down a path that he went down using the same person, in this case, Willem Dafoe, that took him down a path he didn't want to go down and then trying to steer him in the right direction, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that it all sounds great on paper. It all sounds great when it comes out of your mouth, but how it translates on film, it, it feels like the character is constantly going against the interest that he's built up. Like I never bought Kirk with a C being that way out. I don't know if it's because the character is not developed enough. I don't know if it's, the actor, I'm not sure about Ty Sheridan. I can't really get my, I can't really wrap my head around his performance. Um, I don't know if it, if there's just enough there there to justify his change in his life. Because when you first meet him, you know he's he's so controlled and so wants the prisoner experience that he can't have now. You know. Right. That, you know, he's wrapping up things in his hotel room so that it's like a barren cell. You know, everything is so neat and cute and folded and not cute, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, right. I, I, I don't see that character being the jumping point for him. I, I feel like there's an A, B, and C, and B is missing somewhere to B, get me from A to C. B, B isn't so much missing as it's so enig- enigmatic that it's, it's intended to be in the background. It's so very subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, Ty Sheridan is actually a brilliant actor, and I will probably get lynched for saying that by some quarter. <laughs> but um, he's I, all I, right. <laughs> I can't say a great actor. No, he hasn't shown. No, I, 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 I above I, average. Yeah, um, I I think he's brilliant, brilliantly understated here, and that's intentional because. William William Tell doesn't know that he is seeking redemption or needs redemption because he has dug into himself so deeply that he's in his own prison. Mm. Mm, I see. That's, yeah. I All right, that. take it take it to the ending, fellas. Yeah, let's talk about that ending. So I know that when we get to first reform, Don is going to have some issues with the ending there. I am. Um, uh, we'll talk about that later because I also uh, can think of examples as well where I think a film is perfect and then the ending ruins it. So we'll go into that in a minute. But um, so the the end of the movie um, has, you know, basically to spoil it for everybody, including Don, uh, essentially William Tell is back in prison because he, you know, uh, a lot of circumstances basically lead him to Willem Dafoe and they kind of torture each other to death. And, uh, Oscar Isaac, awesome the, the Oscar Isaac is the only survivor of the two torturing each other to death. Um, also an interesting scene because Willem Dafoe kind of accepts the fact that this was going to happen all along in some way. And they just kind of go along with uh, torturing each other. But um, anyways, the point is, is that uh, Lalinda, played by Tiffany Haddish, uh, comes to visit him in prison. And they uh, they have a a dialogueless glance at each other and then they put one finger on the glass between them and it literally holds on their fingers touch their finger touching uh for the entirety of the credits um it's not quite as visual as two people floating in the air on top of each other like in first reformed but i i felt that there was a lot of symbolism and 
um, maybe not fantasy, but certainly some kind of emotional breakthrough that I didn't totally buy myself, but I wanted to get Ben's thoughts on that. So I'm going to go philosophical. Sorry. I'm going to go philosophical on you here. Um, Are you at all familiar with Michelangelo's uh, creation of Adam? A little bit, a little bit. I, I, you know, not, not to the extent of probably how you're going to explain it to me. (laughs) So if, if you look at a, uh, a photo of um, the creation of Adam, it actually place it's placed next to the creation of Eve and Eve and Adam's fingers are touching one another very similarly to the way that Schrader has staged the end of his film. And so what I took away from that uh, was that there was a divine reformation of life uh, between the two that um, William Tell could finally let go of any of his inhibitions. He was where he needed to be. He, he in his mind, was safe. Uh, but Lalinda was sitting on the outside, and their fingers touch in just such a way that creates a cosmic charge between the two that you could literally see uh, the, the apple having fallen from the tree and they find love and peace through one another. Uh, there's, there's a striking resemblance to uh, the two paintings that I think Schrader created. And um, I hope I'm not reading too much into it and that I don't get bombarded with criticism from your listeners, but uh, that I, that was the very first yeah, thing that, that that's like six mind. people. There's plenty. You know, right, no one's right, you. right. Dude, right. I just made a joke about orally pleasuring the Russo brothers. I think you're fine. Yeah, thank I you. Think you can hang past this one, right? <laughs> but no, I, I think I think there's a cosmic significance to the way Schrader staged the ending, and that image stays all the way through the end credits. I, it doesn't let up until the last credit end credit has rolled. Because mm-hmm. he wants that image to sear into your mind that it is possible that two people uh, who are less than desirable to the rest of the world are able to find love and peace and to be able to create something uh, with each other. And I, I'm with you on that. Like, once again, the way you explain it, that sounds great. But I think that the... Tiffany Haddish, who I praised, is doing a great job. Yeah. Um, I don't think she's fleshed out enough to get that um, mm. to get that treatment by the end. Like both of the characters that are instrumental to me in William Tell's journey, um, and even Willem Dafoe, who is who is criminally not in this movie enough, in my opinion, because every movie needs more Willem Dafoe. <laughs> but um, to me, the two characters that are the crux of his personal arc. I don't think they're developed enough to earn the payoff they're given, essentially. Um, And that's just how I feel about it. That might be the presentation of it. Like I said, maybe it works better on the written word. Maybe it works better if you narrated the story, because then I would be like, hey, that sounds fucking awesome. Right. Um, But in terms of what is on screen, I'm not buying that. Uh, That's what was tough for me. If, if I said that the vantage point from which the story is told is not from within William Tell, but from outside of William Tell, 
as yeah. a third person observer of his life sure. would would that be an appropriate way to look at the film well i mean interesting i i mean i'm an english teacher i mean that's most books you know yeah. they're not told from the first person so <laughs> i have seen that done and done better um so i get that that there's a third person looking down at this thing but that's what a lot of films do that's right. what a lot of stories do a lot of um books do a lot of screenplays tv shows movies so i agree with you that that's the perspective but that doesn't change my view of it because um you the film unfortunately and this is something that does differ from a book or anything else is that unfortunately they are giving you a visual that you can have themes and subtext and things like that but um some of the things that happen on film are so direct they're so um they're so uh like points in time that are fixed because like yeah the finger thing is that is there's there may be subtext to the reason their fingers are there there may be this nice history about paintings behind it but at the same time it's still two characters enacting that moment and you have to believe that each character in possession of that finger is worthy of that depiction and unfortunately oscar isaac has a lot of uh He's fleshed out a lot. I just don't think the other two characters that inform him are. And that's right. why I think it suffers a little bit. Yeah. Um, Oscar, this might be an Oscar Isaac thing too. And, and bear with me on this one, because I'm going to talk about this in the next episode, um, because I actually have two Oscar Isaac movies in a row that I put in my top 10 of the decade, last decade from 2010 and 2019. I think he's a great actor. This is why I was thinking that Ethan Hawke would have been better. Because I think Oscar Isaac, he is he's very good at getting lost in a character. Right. But I don't think, and, and the films I'm refer- referring to are this and A Most Violent Year. But by the end of A Most Violent Year, which I think is a fantastic film, I'm kind of sick of his shtick. I'm like, all right, dude, I get it. You're the implacable, completely honorable, you'll never be broken, moral guy. I get it. Enough. You know, and, and and I kind of feel the same with this character too. I'm like, I, I get it. You have this amazing moral code, but I grow tired of the shtick. So I don't know if it's an Oscar Isaac thing where I need him mm. to, where I need him to provide maybe just a little bit more um, flair to something to give it that extra oomph because I feel like he gets so invested in the character. Like there is one scene where he talks about, I think it's Abu Ghraib at, at dinner like in this this bar and the the camera slowly zooms on his face and he's yeah. he's got tears in his eyes brilliant scene beautifully acted phenomenal like i'm like oscar isaac that's great but i think when you put it all together in the film like by the end of it i'm kind of like all right i've seen enough of this guy he's not giving me enough variation for me to care enough about this uh so and, and, and like i said it sounds like i'm slagging this film off i'm not i think it's a no. i think it's a really good film I, I i enjoyed it i was never bored i i i like what it's having to say i just think it was said better before is mm. that's, right, that's, right. that's fair um you haven't mentioned the trumpist the trumpist the the card player who is a oh the, usa usa yeah, yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> That is that is a very interesting uh, thing, and I like that that's very subtle. So basically, Don, there's this guy who's winning all the all poker right. matches on the World yeah. Series of Poker, and he has these two 
dude bros that follow him around and they always say USA USA and and every time the poker player wins he says USA USA and he wears uh, a lot of uh, flag stuff and uh, it's really annoying and reminds me of the years 2016 through 2020 so right <laughs> is, it, is it just a an outside cameo appearance or is there an actor here playing this guy I think he might be a card player you think no uh, he, he's he's a card player oh, um, yeah. that? cool but uh it's it's very loud it's very boisterous I said in my review that it was hilariously ingratiating because <laughs> You, you you just want to chuckle at the same time that you're still trying to be serious and focused on the movie. And uh, I, I thought it was brilliant that Schrader stuck that in there. All right. It says here, so he was, oddly enough, the actor who plays him, Alexander Barbara, uh, was born in the USSR. So that's interesting. Uh, fluent in Russian, Romanian, Ukrainian, and English. Uh, wow. He is not. He is not a card player. He is, in fact, a. He is a, a dancer, a writer, a rapper, um, many things. Uh, looks like a lot of the stuff he is in involves Russian people. <laughs> so, Stranger Beautiful Things. Day. Yeah. Stranger I, Things. Russian worker number two. Fate of the Furious. Russian aide. Uh, he plays someone named Bohan in the Hunt. Uh, so the fact that he is maybe there's something slyly cynical about this usa guy being played by someone who was born in the soviet union very much so i that there's there are just so many um uh you used the term a moment ago but there are, there's just uh, uh schrader is poking fun at certain aspects of our lives today and he gets them in in very glib ways and you know it, it's just uh, i um I celebrate it. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think it's as close to a four out of a four as one can get in this day and age. Well, yeah, if you lower it, if you lower it to a four and I gave it a three and a half, then you've automatically made my rating better. But I do it out of five, Ben. I know. So uh, it's a three and a half out of five. Now, one thing I want to ask you, we will end the show. I promise, Don. I know you're freaking out, but it's okay. um, You're good. This is a Paul Schrader question. What do you think about the fact that Paul Schrader is a one-time Oscar nominee and it was for First Reformer? What do you think about that? I I don't necessarily subscribe to the notion that everybody's work should be um, heralded for every single top honor that anybody could ever throw at their feet. Uh, if If you give me a solid body of work over the years, and you are consistent. Eastwood is a perfect example, right? The man didn't win an Oscar until he was 60, but he has consistently turned out amazing work. And, uh, you know, he's earned my respect. And, uh, you know, some people just don't like to play in the system. Schrader is an example of that. And uh, he's, he's paid his dues. He's made his bones. I think he makes really interesting and wonderful uh impressions of of the world and we get uh we are uh witness to the opportunity to view 
the world from his perspective through his movies. And no, absolutely. I I agree with you a hundred percent, but all I'm saying is you think he would fall into one with taxi driver and raging bull. Don't you think? (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I, I also think it's product of the time, right? Um, Totally agree on that one. That'd be my answer there too. Yep. I would, I would imagine that um, most viewers, whether they're, um, Oscar voters or um, plebes like we are in terms of being on the lower end of the critic spectrum, and I'm by no means denigrating us, uh, that... um, I am your love slave. Denigrate me. (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm going to pass the hand sanitizer, After all. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) We... We... we, um, uh, we can only get out of a movie what our experiences and our perspective and our vantage point allows us to take in. And, uh, you know, where, where you might not be familiar with the holy game of poker, and I'm not claiming that I am either, because I, I couldn't uh, sit down at a poker table and win big, I would lose my ass. Um, <laughs> but uh it it's it's about being able to read into the movie and what the the deeper meaning of of the message is and you know for a lot of people they're not just willing to be able to invest that time into the movie to mm. study it and to be able to say this is what he intended uh versus this is my opinion of the movie and you know I'm just going to leave it at that quote unquote um, and so if, if you, if you take that into consideration and you, and you take into consideration that a number of his movies really are a product of their times, uh, I'm, I'm going to Scorsese on this one. Scorsese probably makes films that are timeless or can withstand the test of time, but sure. Schrader makes movies that are of the moment and, mm. um, that's not a bad thing, but I, I think if you're in the moment and it's something that you can't deal with, you're not going to like the movie. Yeah, I gotcha. I feel like um, like something like autofocus would be like a shoe in for an Oscar nomination these days, you know. But that's that's the way it goes. But no, I, I totally get it. I totally get yeah. what you're saying. I appreciate that viewpoint. Yeah, so once again, we've ended. We've ended on a positive note, like like me and Don usually do. Right. Um, there you go. Look at well, you guys. We, we, we can all be friends. Hey, I'm going to ruin the podcast now. Hey, Ty Sheridan was in the Tree of Life, Don. Was he? <laughs> yeah. Was he the Was he the kid that uh, got killed later in the movie in adulthood? Because that I, I I'd root for. I was that. I was too busy uh, looking at the drapes, my friend, to care. Yeah, I, I was too busy counting tree, shots of trees. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, can I can I just say I've never seen the no, truth? You're not what? missing a fucking thing. No, don't listen to this imbecile. You're, you're missing a masterpiece. You're missing an IMAX slideshow with Brad Pitt narration. That's it. And what is wrong with this so far? I'm confused. Yeah, it, it's just it's not a film. It, I, 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 I think we need to have another episode about the Tree of Life. Oh, something. We, we, we already did, but I'm happy yeah. to do it again. I know. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Easy peasy. All right, folks. Uh, thank you, Ben. Tell folks where to find your work and especially your new podcast. 
we you can find the new podcast on uh, essentiallycinema.podbean.com. Uh, we are also working our way towards the major distributors. Uh, we're on Spotify. Uh, you can read my reviews on the movie review, revue.com and thecinemafiles.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Letterboxd. Uh, so I'm not shy about uh, uh, stating my opinion. It usually uh, clears a room. But uh, um, uh, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome, sir. Oh, yeah, no, you're great, man. That's why we had you back so soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this I episode hope- is probably going to premiere in like in like 12 weeks. So whatever. This one's next week, remember? Because we got a new release here. This will be I soon. Don't, I don't cool. pay attention to any of this shit. And, and it shows in the production I, should, I just come here and give Rant, wisdom. That's yeah. it. Oh, you is mean, that what that is? Oh, you mean okay. I preempted your other episodes for this? Yeah. I, well, then I'm honored and impressed. I'm know, honored right? no less. But yeah, you're you're bumping five other episodes in the can. So enjoy that. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. And, and two of them are Byron's episodes, so uh, you can have a fight with him about that if you want. Exactly. Yep. Sorry, Byron. <laughs> Precedent. <laughs> All right, so folks, follow us on Twitter at CinephileFit. What, I don't get to do the outro? No, you talk too fucking much. You're done. That's that's my job for being this ship steer here. So here you go. Follow us on Twitter at CinephileFit. This is how an outro should be. Not your rambling. This is how Will does the outro. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at CinephileFit and on Facebook at CinephileHissyFitPodcast. So follow us on Letterboxd. So here's how it really should go, okay? Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Hissy Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. Also follow us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, and review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts. See, see, he knows I'm better at this than him. With interesting hosts and wonderful guests. All of that is available, folks, on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else where you can find your favorite shows. Good luck, folks. Enjoy this little reprieve and little dive into Paul Schrader. We'll come back one week from now and do it all over again with First Reform. Thousands affected by Hurricane Ida urgently need support. Your donation can help the American Red Cross provide warm meals, shelter, and hope to these families. Please donate today. Go to redcross.org or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to donate to Hurricane Ida. Your support is critical. We can't do it without you.